This is The Guardian. Today, will the state of Tennessee let women die before they can access a life-saving abortion? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I can cry about it and I can be mad about it, but at the end of the day, this has been the most traumatic experience of my life. And it's something I don't think I'll ever get over. And no amount of therapy, I don't think it's gonna help. Last year, Tennessee became the most dangerous place in the United States for a pregnant person. And it's home to Ali Phillips, a 28-year-old mother to one little girl who just last month was pregnant with her second baby. I went to prenatal appointments and everything seemed okay. And my mom got us an ultrasound at one of those 3D, 4D baby places uh, to find out the gender around my 15-week mark. And uh, she does the ultrasound and does the reveal and tells us it's a girl. And so we spent like two weeks trying to find a girl name and Miley Cyrus' song Flowers came out. And I was like, you know what? I don't know any Miley's. I like Miley. And give her middle name a flower, so Rose. Phillips and her family were excited for their baby girl, Miley Rose, to arrive. But at her next prenatal appointment, Things got scary. We get to the doctor appointment and they start the ultrasound. She goes, so I looked at the ultrasound pictures and she diagnosed it as semi-lobar holoprosencephaly. Um, explained it as a rare brain defect and only 3% of fetuses make it to birth with this brain defect. And if they make it to birth, they don't live very much long. It was devastating news. Phillips was stunned. And she turned to a doctor and asked for help on what to do. She said, well, um, your first option is you can terminate your pregnancy. She said, if you want me to be upfront and honest, she said, the longer she's in your womb, the worse she's going to get. And the worse she's going to get, the higher risk your health gets. We all agreed that it was in my best interest and my family's best interest that we terminate and not play with anybody's health. After the fall of Roe versus Wade last summer, abortion was banned completely in Tennessee. Republicans in the state had conceived a trigger law and it was enacted immediately. It means no matter how dangerous the pregnancy is to the mother or to the fetus, a termination is absolutely illegal. And so Phillips was turned away by her doctor and told to find help elsewhere. 
it wasn't easy and the time I should have been grieving and being with my family I spent on phones with clinics and uh, we found one in New York and in Manhattan. Almost five months pregnant, she travelled more than 900 miles to find a safe, legal route to terminate her pregnancy. One that she had desperately wanted, but could obviously not continue with. I can't wrap my mind around the fact that it's men um, that are making laws against women's bodies. The fact that a politician has a right to tell you what you can and can't do medically, that blows my mind how that is even possible to happen. From The Guardian, I'm Nashi Iqbal. Today in Focus, the reality of America's toughest abortion ban and why it's too extreme, even for those who helped impose it. Dr. Nikki Zeit, you're an obstetrician gynecologist, often referred to as an OBGYN, working in Tennessee in the US. Can you tell me what a normal working day looks like for you and how that's changed since the state's trigger ban on abortion came into effect? My day to day or week to week could be covering labor and delivery and doing all of the routine or high-risk deliveries that occur in labor and delivery. I did not do outpatient abortion care. That was the big change after June of 2022. All of our outpatient abortion clinics closed. In the hospital setting with our trigger ban, abortion is all illegal care Technically, right now, for even ectopic pregnancies, fetal anomalies not compatible with life or miscarriages where there is still a heartbeat is illegal. And if a patient you know, has a pregnancy without a brain or without kidneys or with other abnormalities that are not compatible with life, those families need to leave the state of Tennessee if they desire to terminate those pregnancies. And then we had the complications like water breaking before the lungs were developed. Those are, again, a small percentage of overall pregnancies, maybe 2% of pregnancies, but we're the referral center. So if that happened anywhere in our region, those patients would often be sent to us for that care. What we used to be able to say, this patient is having a complication of pregnancy and we're able to talk to them and their family and potentially other physicians involved in the care and as a team decide that ending the pregnancy is what the patient wants and what's safest for them, we were no longer able to do that without also engaging lawyers to defend ourselves later if we were charged. So what does that actually mean in terms of your daily working reality. Can you tell me what it looks like and who's involved and how quickly you'd potentially be making life-changing decisions? When a patient comes in by ambulance and they're already infected or they're already bleeding, we need to end that pregnancy sooner rather than later. 
And so typically we would do all the things we would normally do to stabilize any emergent patient trauma and then gather the teams and explain to everybody that what we were going to do is considered a felony by the current way our law is written. But we had several physicians all in agreement about the medical decision-making, and we felt like we would be able to defend ourselves. And we felt that not providing that care would be medical malpractice and that we would not be able to defend that, not to mention not be able to live through the moral distress of not providing care that we knew was needed. Prior to the trigger going into effect, there were still processes in place to make sure that everyone in the operating room understood that this case was necessary to save the life of the mom, but that we were ending a life. And some people were not comfortable with that and didn't participate in that care. But we always had a team available that could help us and take care of that patient. Now we add to that that anyone in that operating room is aiding and abetting a felony. So there's just additional levels of people that we need to have involved from our legal teams, our ethic teams, that add to the time it takes to get the cases to the operating room and the moral distress for the entire team. You say it takes a whole team to manage a procedure like this, and there's a lot of people involved, but who takes the most legal risk? Where does the buck stop, as it were, in that room? Who's going to be ending up in court? We don't know yet. I mean, truthfully, what we've seen play out in the United States is a confusing picture. Right now, there's a legal case in Texas where three women are being criminalized for helping a friend access abortion care. So the woman who had the abortion is not being criminalized. And the physicians that provided the care, I believe out of state, right now have not yet been criminalized. But the three friends that discussed abortion and helped the patient access her abortion, they're being sued. I guess it's too soon to have any realistic data on how the law is changing things day to day. But I wonder if anecdotally you could tell me how different are things now since the law changed and how has it changed the kind of cases you are dealing with on a daily basis? We're now seeing younger patients with higher frequency, 14-year-olds that potentially in the past would have accessed abortion care and then fetal anomalies not compatible with life. And so we are seeing more use of neonatal palliative care or neonatal hospice, but it will take a while to get actual data and evidence to show if it's our perception or it's true trends. Dr. Zeit, how are you feeling under the current circumstances? Discouraged, sad, worried, pretty much the roller coaster of emotions that's been going on since June of 2022. 
Stephanie Kirschgesner. You're an investigative reporter for Guardian US based in Washington, D.C., and you've been covering the way the abortion laws are playing out in some of the states that have opted for total bans. Can you begin by telling me how Tennessee got to where it is now, the place with the most stringent law in the country? It came to pass in 2019 before anyone thought that this idea of banning all abortions would ever really see the light of day. Back in 2019, Roe v. Wade was still the law of the land. It had been the law of the land for more than four decades. But Republicans in Tennessee, guided by a very powerful anti-abortion group called Tennessee Right to Life, which is essentially a Tennessee state organization affiliated with the National Right to Life group, decided to pass what's known as a trigger law. And this trigger law was basically their fantasy law that would come into place if Roe versus Wade were ever to be reversed by the Supreme Court. But then something unusual has been happening, and at least some of those lawmakers seem to be having second thoughts. Can you tell me what is going on there? Because this trigger law is so extreme and basically created um, a situation in which any doctor performing an abortion, even in medical emergencies, was criminalized and committing a felony, there are Republicans who realized quite quickly, in part because of complaints they were receiving from OBGYNs in their districts, that this was an unworkable bill, that doctors were facing patients who were in medical emergencies. And to perform a termination, which would be necessary to save the life of that woman, was considered a felony. And that was obviously seen as problematic. It's a really stark example of how incredibly the battle lines have shifted on abortion. Last June, there was a lot of concern, outrage, anger about the loss of rights and the rollback of rights after nearly half a century for women in America. But now in Tennessee, the fight was about whether women should be able to receive emergency treatment when they enter a hospital, if it meant terminating a pregnancy. Well, it really does make you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, if those Republican politicians voted to impose the strictest possible ban on abortion in their state, what did they think was going to happen? You know, when I spoke to Dr. Richard Briggs, who's a state senator in Tennessee and actually co-sponsored the trigger law, he's also a physician, I don't think that he really thought about it at all. I think that this was a law that came in front of him, that he agreed to vote for, and that nobody thought it would happen. Back in 2019, I don't even remember us having a long discussion, either in committee or a long discussion on the Senate floor about the trigger bill that eventually became law, because first of all, we weren't sure that it would ever become law. We were talking about a theoretical. And then secondly, many of us who voted for it, we were perfectly willing to shut down abortion clinics. But I really believe that the overwhelming majority of us realized that there were certain medical conditions that required a pregnancy to be terminated. 
And I think that, that what he began to hear was especially colleagues of his. So it's interesting that he actually is a physician. were complaining that this was unworkable. And it was almost immediately I've been getting phone calls from uh, OBGYN doctors. And they said, well, what does this mean? Uh, and quite frankly, I told them, I think you better talk to a lawyer rather than me. Then we pulled back. Uh, it was called the Human Protection Act in 2019 when the trigger bill was passed. And, uh, of course, immediately we went back to see exactly what was in it. Were there any exceptions? And I freely admitted that I did not understand the legal significance of affirmative defense. And as it was explained to us by the attorneys, it meant that if you terminated a pregnancy for any reason, that the doctor had committed a felony. And the way that law was written is it can mean up to 15 years in prison. In our opinion, this was totally unacceptable. And it made no distinction of any conditions such as ruptured ectopic pregnancies. There's a thing called molar pregnancies. I mean, these are pregnancies that can never be carried to term. And an ectopic pregnancy is one of the most common causes of maternal mortality during the first or second trimesters of pregnancy. Does this mean that if a doctor operated to save a woman's life, he was, well, he was, as soon as he did that, he was a felon. And what's also interesting is the sort of response he received when he started raising the fact that, that something needed to be changed. I started speaking out then saying, we've got to change this. And uh, the Tennessee Right to Life that had endorsed me, they immediately issued a press release saying that they were de-endorsing me, that I was going back on my word, they, I should no longer be associated with Tennessee Right to Life. They published that on their website, and then they sent that message out about what they had done to me to the other legislators, both in the state Senate and the state house in Tennessee. The way that I regarded it was uh, it was a shot across the bow to them is don't do what Dr. Briggs did or you'll be next. And he sort of says, well, I'm okay with that because I did some polling and I know that even the staunchest reliable Republican voters in my district don't actually rate abortion as a very significant issue. In fact, most of them think it should be legal with restrictions. So what you see is that there is this huge disconnect between the power that Tennessee Right to Life has and how much even Republican voters in Tennessee really care about this issue. Um, it's just the minority of people who seem to be holding the levers of power. Stephanie, you're no stranger to investigating really big stories on money and power. And I have often wondered about both of those things when it comes to the US and the amount that is invested by politicians, by lobbyists, by Christian groups and the far right into essentially controlling women's bodies. Why do you think that is the case and where the US is right now? I think where that money goes is in electing judges. The movement that happened to have judges put on the Supreme Court who were going to 
reverse Roe v. Wade, that has been the decades-long project of extremist Christian and particularly Catholic groups here in the U.S. Stephanie, can you talk to me about the detail of what Briggs's actual reforms propose and where they've now ended up? State Senator Briggs, his proposal had language that would have allowed doctors to use their subjective judgment in making decisions to prevent death and major harm to women using terminations if needed. Okay, so that actually radically changed the trigger law in the sense that it would have allowed doctors to perform preventative medicine. He also was calling for exceptions in really you know, clear-cut cases of ectopic pregnancies and um, fatal fetal anomalies. So having brought this entirely unreasonable situation onto Tennessee, there was a very tiny, tiny reasonable proposal on his part to amend that. Suddenly this person who is, you know, adamantly pro-life, so make no mistake, a person who's saying like, yeah, we should try to save women's lives and even try to prevent medical emergencies because, we, you know, that person was seen as radical, who was deviating from his previous position. And he basically got slammed for it. You then see the wrath of Tennessee Right to Life saying, no, 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 no. We are getting rid of our trigger ban if this becomes law, because there are just way too many loopholes. Too many doctors are going to give too many abortions if this becomes law, because they're going to use any old excuse, because you can't really trust those doctors. I mean, that is essentially the argument of Tennessee Right to Life. So the Tennessee Right to Life took Briggs's law and essentially stripped it of most of the meaningful changes he was prepared to make. The proposal from Tennessee Right to Life, which is now essentially what is poised to pass and become law, does make an exception for ectopic pregnancies. So under the current law, if you have an ectopic pregnancy, you literally have to go out of state to terminate that pregnancy. Under the new law that Right to Life has blessed, ectopic pregnancies can be terminated within the state of Tennessee. They also make an exception if there is an emergency where it would be an objective decision by a physician that that woman's life, that girl's life is in imminent danger, essentially. So what they have stripped out of the Briggs bill is preventative treatment. As a doctor, it is no longer acceptable to say, well, I knew this woman was going to have an infection within the week if I did not terminate this pregnancy. And how have these new reforms been viewed by other pro-choice groups, by obstetricians, gynaecologists, feminist activists in the US? Are they considered even the tiniest of victories or not? Under the current trigger law, like I've said, there's no doctor that's actually been prosecuted. The law is sort of vague. And so the new law is going to be a little bit more specific. With that specificity comes a new threat, which is that prosecutors may find it easier to target doctors and to charge them and to bring them to trial. So there is an improvement for a woman who has an ectopic pregnancy. Beyond that, 
I don't see an improvement. So despite how much was stripped out of Senator Briggs's original bill, this new version does look set to pass, and it does loosen, albeit very slightly, the existing legislation. Is that enough to say this is a glimmer of brightness in this really awful situation for women's rights in Tennessee? I don't actually see it as a bright spot. I see it as evidence of the continuous hold of the right to life. I don't think that allowing ectopic pregnancies to be terminated, which are in their nature not viable pregnancies. But what I do see as a glimmer of something that might be light is that there are Republicans like... Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Senator Briggs, who, although he was an author of the trigger ban, is talking about things like that the criminalization of doctors is not something that is compatible with having women safely being treated. He's also talked about his support for exceptions for rape and incest. But in this extremist state, these conversations are starting to happen. Coming up, the abortion debate has sparked violence in Tennessee. Can things get even worse before they get better? Dr. Zeit, the anti-abortion movement is 
incredibly loud and powerful in the US. And Tennessee itself has felt the sharp influence of the Christian lobby group Right to Life. Now, we've heard from Stephanie about the politics of all of this, but I do wonder what your personal interactions with anti-abortionists have looked like and how you've dealt with them. So I have lived a relatively protected and privileged career because I'm in the hospital setting. In Knoxville, we had our Planned Parenthood burnt down in uh, New Year's Eve of 2021. And we had that same clinic shot at um, on the anniversary of Roe a couple of years previous. So I think that that it's scary. Um, and I'm grateful to my colleagues who feel so strongly that providing this care is worth taking those risks. You know, every year at our OBGYN meetings or our complex family planning meetings, we have too many memorial sessions for providers that have lost their lives from extremists. It's so shocking. I mean, could you have imagined at the beginning of your career that you could be working as a doctor with the skills to perform essential medical care and that that, those skills could effectively land you in prison? I, I never would have thought that. And I never thought that I could really seriously go to jail or lose my job, lose my medical license, lose my career for providing evidence-based health care that I took, you know, an additional two years after my four years of OBGYN training to get because I knew that it was necessary care and that there weren't a lot of providers that were going to be providing that care. And when things began to change over the last few years, did you keep thinking it's going to get better or... Did you have a sense of dread that this is going to get worse before it does actually get better? I think that most of us in the complex family world definitely felt it was going to get worse before it got better. Some of us, including myself, you know, were still naive to how bad it could get. I think that there'll be the negative consequences for our patients. There'll be the negative consequences for my learners which will then accentuate the problems for the patients because we will have a generation of OBGYNs who have less experience and less ability to provide this care in those emergency situations. And then there's the fact that physicians are leaving our state because they don't want to take those risks of being criminalized and lose their livelihood or suffer the moral distress of saying, your pregnancy is not going to survive, but I can't help you. Do you hope that the situation could dramatically change in favour of women's rights, body autonomy, and just better natal care in your working life? I mean, how realistic is it to hope that in just a few years' time, this period will be written off as another weird blip or aberration in history? Honestly, I don't know. I feel as though I'm going through all of the cycles of emotion that you have with grief and I do the bargaining and the negotiating and then the denial 
And so there are times where I think, clearly, this is going to get better. I hope it gets better without too many people having to suffer, die, or lose their careers. But we've seen it in other countries where something finally tips things over. But right now in the U.S., it's really hard to see what that's going to be. I mean, you know, in Tennessee, we had a horrible mass shooting, and I don't see gun laws changing. So it's hard to see abortion access changing when I feel like it's a similar issue. Dr. Zeit, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Dr. Nikki Zeit from Tennessee, Stephanie Kirschgesner, investigations correspondent at Guardian US, and Ali Phillips. My thanks to all of them. You can read Stephanie's piece on this story, How Close Must a Woman Be to Death to Get an Abortion in Tennessee? And more on abortion rights, all at theguardian.com forward slash world forward slash abortion. One more thing. If you're a fan of The Guardian's documentaries and the docu-filmmaking world in general, then do sign up to The Guardian's new newsletter, which is free and gives you a chance to connect with the filmmaking community that is building there. Head to theguardian.com forward slash documentaries hyphen newsletter. And that's it for today. I'm Noshi Nikbal. And this episode is produced by Klitsia Sala. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.